Thank you, Mark and Cindy. Greatly appreciate uh, the Advent season and to be able to have our church family uh, engage in it and to read the scriptures, introduce the passage we're going to preach on, and then to bring God glory and think about uh, in consecutive weeks uh, what the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ means. Uh, Christmas is an amazing time of year, is it not? I ran across this this week in reading. It said, isn't it amazing that a baby born in a stable 2,000 years ago can cause traffic jams this week? <laughs> now, it's, I, wish it, I wish it was uh, traffic jams trying to get in and out of church parking lots, don't you? But we know the truth of the matter. Uh, J.R. Tolkien was a great lingual scholar, and he made this statement about the Christmas event. He said, and I quote, The birth of Christ is the you-catastrophe of man's history. The story has in it the inner consistency of all reality. And he said, There's no story ever told that men would rather find true, and none which so many skeptical men have come to accept as true on its own merits. He concluded by saying to reject it leads to sadness and wrath. Now note that strange word, eucatastrophe. What in the world does that mean? Well, a catastrophe, we know, is a sudden calamity which comes upon us and it interrupts our life and it brings about a very unfortunate result. We're aware of those, aren't we? All around us. But if you put that little Greek prefix in front of it, eu, In English, E-U, in Greek, you. Uh, It's actually the beginning of the word euangelion, which is the good news of the gospel, right? Where we get our word evangelism. But if you stick that little prefix in front of catastrophe, what this means is this is an upheaval for a decisive beneficial event of maximum value. So it's a good upheaval uh, for... The better. Well, I want to remind you that it was the birth of Jesus that was the greatest upheaval for good in the history of the world. That the God of eternity would come down to this earth. God would make footprints on this earth. It's the event on which all of history turns. It's the dividing point between the old and the new covenant. It's the single event that gives meaning to all other events that are transpiring even in our midst today. There's no question that heaven mixed and mingled on that particular night. Now, amid the avalanche of the Christmas specials that we are seeing on the screen this year, don't you like to watch Rudolph? Yeah, I do. I like Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman. But there's one little gem that stands out of all the Christmas specials uh, that are given, and it gives us the very true meaning of Christmas. It's a cartoon and it's the one that everybody watches this time of year. I think you're already thinking about it. There's hardly a viewer that can't identify with old Charlie Brown. Because old Charlie, with all the hype and advertising at Christmas, Charlie Brown is just bum-fuzzled. He wonders what in the world's going on. Uh, can anybody figure out what the meaning of Christmas is? And in simple, sincere, and utterly effective fashion, In Charlie Brown's Christmas, we get the true meaning of Christmas when that famous Peanuts character Linus recites 
the nativity passage that Mark and Cindy just read for us. And I love it because when he finishes, he says, Charlie Brown, that's the true meaning of Christmas. Well, let's examine Luke's account and let's call it the first Christmas service. Now, we come to FBCO and we worship the Lord various nights of the week. And we, of course, we come on Sunday, Sunday night, and we have a service, don't we? All right. This means I know the Christmas stuff's got you tired, but right? We have a service. We have a choir that sings. We have a congregation that shares in the service. We have communication that is spoken. And then we have consequences that succeed after we have a worship service. And we know really uh, the real acid test of any worship service is what happens after the service is over. Right? Well, let's go through this narrative and we're going to talk about a choir that sang, best choir that ever opened its mouth, right? We're going to talk about the congregation that was invited, front row seats, better than Star Wars, right? They had the best seats in the house for this. And then there was the communication, which is the most important message you could ever hear, communication given. And then what kind of consequences took place after this? That's what we're going to do today. First, I'm not going to read the narrative again, but the choir that sang in the, in the first Christmas service is found in verse 9 and verse 13. Just in 9, the angel appeared, glory to God in the highest, shone all around, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said, fear not. And then in 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. So in 9 and 13, you, you have a sudden appearance of a vast army of the angels of heaven. It's a swarm of angels that are worshiping. It's a choir singing. And according to the Bible, angels are created beings who play a noble part in God's economy. It includes uh, primarily a medium between the spiritual world and the material world. Now the TV gets this wrong, right? Some of you think your grandma's an angel now that she's in heaven, right? Well, your grandma wasn't an angel when she was here, and she's not an angel now, all right? And they're not chubby and, and fat and flying around like that. That's the wrong picture we get. But we can learn from the Bible they have primary functions. In the Old Testament, their primary functions were to praise God, carry out His commandments on earth, protect the faithful. Isn't that good? I like that. And to punish the wicked. We know that true. It's true. In the New Testament, their duties are primarily worship toward God and service toward those of salvation. Perhaps the most definitive statement given anywhere in the Bible on that in the New Testament is found in Hebrews chapter 1. Here's the Bible. Here's what the scripture reads after explaining how Christ is greater than the angels. The Bible says, are they not, meaning angels, all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Pretty strong there from the Word of God. Their spirits sent forth from God to care for those who will receive, have received, or will receive the salvation that God has given. Just think about this for a moment. The choir that sang at that very first Christmas service. At the time of Christ's birth, there were four great angelic messenger announcements given. Remember old Zacharias? I don't know what his mind was thinking at that time, but the old rascal couldn't speak for a while, could he? Right? Uh, at the announcement 
Another one fit for an angel was when the angel appeared, appeared to Mary. This child you're going to have. You shall, name, you shall have a son. You will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And then there's the angelic announcement to Joseph to prepare him uh, to produce that acceptance in the heart of Joseph uh, to keep Mary as his bride. And then all of that sets up for this announcement involving a multiplicity of heaven's angels. We can call it a seraphic antiphony, right? That's what it is. It all sets up for that on the night when they least expected it. A group of Judean sheep herders were singled out for everlasting glory. Exclusive audience of a performance of magnanimous proportions. Nothing petty about this one. Greatest announcement in the history of the world. And they were on the front row to hear this. Can you imagine how the angels of glory prepared to leave heaven to make this announcement? You know, Hebrews talks about how they long to lean into. It's almost like they're up against a banister leaning in to watch God work redemption among human beings. Angels don't know what it's like to be lost and then to be saved. So they're... They're just fascinated with the God of eternity who created these creatures like us. That God would come into this world as a man to save it. That's fascinating to the angelic horde that are, hordes that are in heaven. Uh, our translation says a great company of angels. Kent Hughes believes that it was all the angels that God ever created that filled the sky that night to worship the newborn king. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I would call that a cosmic stereo. Just think of that. How the, uh, one literal translation is that the angels were teeming and swarming in the heavens. Can you just imagine what went on that particular day? They were announcing the birth, physical human birth of the Son of God on earth. I don't think uh, they would have left heaven to announce a philosopher being born or an educator But when you're talking about the Son of God that created them, I think that announcement is worthy of their presence. They joined their voices in the greatest event of all, the birth of the God-man on the face of the earth. Again, wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the ear of a shepherd's sheep that night to be able to watch what transpired? I think you can begin to think how important it is that rejecting or receiving this particular news is the most important thing you can ever do in your life. I want to remind you that Revelation gives us a picture of what's going on in heaven. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls with full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang... A new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and language, people of every nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And we know, if you read on down, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Uh, I think, if you're saved, you ought to sing. Shouldn't be just the choir up here. Uh, and you're, spe- you're just a spectator in the pew, uh, you should open your mouth and sing. You say, well, preacher, I can't sing. Well, when God changes your heart, you'll sing if it sounds good or not, right? 
And I think that our church needs to grow in that area. Not to be ashamed to sing praises to His name. I taught you a complete lesson on that when I first came. The first five or six weeks I was here about what true worship is. You know you have an entire book on singing in the Bible. It's called Psalms. It's the Hebrew hymn book. Just remind you, something of this kind of magnitude, the Son of God coming down to this earth is something we ought to sing about. So we meet the choir that sang. Now what about the congregation that shared in the first Christmas service? Who was it that had the box office seats? This is why I like playing the shepherd, shepherds in Back to Bethlehem, right? I mean, we, we make the whole thing, don't we, guys? I mean, we actually thought about walking in here, uh, you know, just for an introduction and have our lines as our shepherds dressed all up, but we, we decided not to. Small congregation, wasn't it? A lot smaller than Joel Osteen's church, right? Real small congregation. The greatest choir that ever sang in the history of the world sang to a modest crowd. Just a small group of people. Now, you're not only looking into an act of God when you, say, when you say something small, but you are also looking into the very ways of our God. Not only was it small, it was simple. Caesar wasn't invited, was he? Herod was not invited. We might call this the very first divine snub, right? Because you think if the king is coming to be born then uh, why wasn't everybody invited? But the congregation that came at this particular point was very small, and it was very simple. When Mary receives the angel's announcement of the fact that she will be the God-bearer, that she, her body would be the vehicle uh, for the coming of the incarnate Son of God, the Bible says she broke out into a song called the Magnificent. You know that? As a matter of fact, if I'm looking at Luke 2 on my pages of Scripture, just to my left, on the other side, you can read that. But notice how she strings together all these pearls of Old Testament terminology. She says, the Lord has put down the mighty from their seats and, it, and has exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Did you know that in this particular time frame... The shepherds were excommunicated from the official religious life of Israel. You know why? It was because of their vocation. They were outcasts. They were untouchables in their society. They were regarded as thieves. The only people that had a lower socioeconomical class was lepers. That's how low they were in society. Yet God chose shepherds. Isn't that great? God chose shepherds to behold the very first Christmas service with their own eyes. I think there's a preeminent principle going on here. Uh, some of God's favorite people were shepherds. The very first one he chose was, ooh, you got it, who? Abraham, right? Right? It was Abraham, and then you had Moses, and then you had David. Three of the greatest were shepherds. I think this is a reversal of the world's values. You don't have to be in the who's who to know what's what. Right? And so God comes along. God comes only to those who sense their need. Let me give you a, first, let me give you a New Testament understanding of that found in the book of Corinthians. 
The Bible says in chapter 1, verse 26, just listen. The Bible says, for consider your calling, brothers, in this church as well. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We think about how, how the angels came to the shepherds and how that announcement was given to them and the new news that was spoken of the promised Savior, that wonderful news. And we just think about how awesome it is for our perfect God of eternity to put on humanity. To be willing to come down to this earth and be born as a baby. Remember, he was rich, but through his poverty, we become rich. Well, the richness was his position in heaven before he came down. And the poverty is taking on our human flesh. Taking on our life. And he did this for us. I told you about Rudolph, right? I mean, why would God come to shepherds? I mean, why not a, a, an angelic announcement to all the kings of the world? Well, again, Jesus comes to those who have a need. Those who are well don't need a physician. But you're not well. I told you about Rudolph, right? We, we said, talked about this the other day. Don't you love them little characters? Don't you love old Hermie and Rudolph? What happens to Rudolph and Hermie? They get ousted to the land of misfit toys. i got news for you. That's who you are. Everybody in this room, you're a misfit. Absolutely no way of you changing the condition of your heart apart from Jesus working in it. Amen? Do I need to say that again? Right? A weeds well in a world of misfits. Every single one of us. But you're not in any situation that God can't deliver you from. That's what's good about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's one other thing. Not only was it simple, was it, I mean, small and simple congregation, but it was a steady congregation. What do I mean by that? Well, these guys were at work doing what they were supposed to do. It's interesting that when God called Abraham and when he called Moses and when he called David and when he called the shepherds and gave this incredible announcement, they were plodding along doing their vocation. Hard at work doing what they were supposed to do. You know, you can't guide a bicycle when it's leaning against a wall. Uh, you can't uh, guide a boat when it's docked in a harbor. I think God would rather deal with a misdirected missile, missile uh, than to try to work with an inerrant bag of rocks. Right? And so I think you're looking into the ways of God here. When he called Moses, he was tending to sheep. When he called Gideon, he was threshing wheat. When he called Elijah, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And when Jesus called Matthew and Peter, they were working at their vocation. Can I, do I need to remind you that work is divine? You say, well, I thought work was the result of the fall. Oh, no. Adam was placed in the garden to work and till and uh, do the right thing that God told him to do. Serve the Lord before sin ever entered into the world. Sin just caused there to be some thorns and thistles in there, right, to make it difficult. So work is divine. Service is divine. He who stoops to scrub a floor may, in fact, worship more than he who kneels before a shrine. Don't forget that. So this was a small Steady, serving congregation. And I want to remind you that 
it's only those who are willing to become as a child who will enter the kingdom of heaven. Humility. Trusting, just simple trust in the word of God regarding what salvation is. That's the congregation. Now let's deal with the communication that was shared at that Christmas service. You know, here's an occasion where an angel preaches like a preacher, right? Uh, And it was uh, an absolute pure and perfect sermon given. Actual rendering is, I gospelize you good news of great joy. So here we, we have in this very first announcement, Christ the Lord, the Savior is born. I gospelize to you. We have the best news ever given. A Savior is born today who is Christ the Lord. What a wide world in a small word. Savior. Just think about that for a moment. Do you think the angels would have come again to announce a philosopher or a statesman or a warrior or a reformer? Uh, Nothing would have brought them from heaven like the titanic news that the God of eternity had come down to save his people from their sins. That's the announcement that is given here today. Think about the announcement was for your greatest need to have your sins forgiven. He will come to save his people from their sins. I love, again, what the angel says in Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 21. Let me read that to you. That announcement. Remember, Christ the Lord, Savior, and then you put together, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In that one verse, you've got the answer to your greatest need. Son, save sinners. That's the gospel, right? Son, save sinners. It's your greatest need. The angel tells him, it will be a son. You will give him the name Jesus. You know what that name is, right? It's the name Yahweh saves. Is that important? You better believe it because it's fulfilling the entire Old Testament. He will save his people from their sins. Psalm 130, verses 7 through 8, looms in the background of this statement found in Luke's gospel. For unto you a, a, son, a child is born in this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then put together, you shall call his name Jesus, Yahweh saves. And here, listen to 130, Psalm 130, 7 through 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So, when we read about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, it's not just Yahweh's salvation being delivered. It's not just representative of Yahweh. That baby born in in Bethlehem was Yahweh God. Now think about how strong that teaching is. That's why... It's used the way it is in this particular text. He is Yahweh God. It is only Yahweh God that can save, period. And he comes down from heaven and he takes on human flesh. From the Old Testament perspective, there's only one Savior for Israel, and that's Yahweh. There's only one Savior for you, and that's Yahweh. That's Jesus himself. So, there was great Jewish expectation that a Messiah would come, and they were hoping that The Messiah would remove Roman bondage. But there were very few living in that day who expected the Lord Jesus to come as a Davidic Messiah who would ransom his people from their sins. But that's exactly the Savior that came and the exact Savior that we needed. Right? Matthew later will say, The Son of Man did not come to be 
serve, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you've got this great announcement of man's greatest need to have your sins forgiven. But there's also a great paradox. Did anybody see it in the text? What does it say? Peace on... Really? You see any peace in our world? Right? Do we see that anywhere? We do? Where about? I don't see it. I watched the news for a few minutes this morning. Wasn't any peace on earth. Not what I saw. How about in your family? Is there always peace there? No. Ain't happening. Right? So think about it. Why is this a great paradox? Because the angel announces it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those whom he is pleased. When it comes to the communication that was spoken, not only was it for our greatest need, salvation, but there's this awesome paradox of peace. And it it all goes down to the translation. Uh, Because when we say this, if you don't have the proper translation, you're missing what it means to have peace on earth. The uh, NAS, New American Standard, says peace on earth to all whom God favors. Uh Uh-oh, getting closer, right? The NLT says, and peace on earth to all whom... uh, The NAS says peace among men with whom he is pleased. The NLT says among those who he favors. It's impossible to have peace unless you have God. You remember Jesus said, peace I give to you, not like the peace that the world gives, the peace I give to you is peace from God. It's His peace given to us. So in other words, if you don't know Jesus, you don't have this peace. It's the peace, the whole world can be falling apart around you, and you can have peace in the midst of turmoil. And that's the gift of God to us. Isn't it great to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night and to know that you are rich, not with material things, Right? but with the things that only God can give. Forgiveness of sins. Peace with God. Heaven as your home when you die. Can't get any richer than to know that, right? And that's the peace that we enjoy as God's people. So the communication that was spoken was about this great news for our greatest need, that provision of Christ to save us from our sins. But the peace that God gives on earth that you can't get unless you know Jesus as your Lord. But what about the great purpose of all of it? The the angel announces it. Glory to God in the highest. Now we say that around here, don't we? We've got one purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. We've got one mission. And that mission is to... Now I know there's a hundred of you knuckleheads that have taken the membership class, Right? Our purpose is to glorify God. Our mission is to make disciples. Right? That's pretty clear. That's what God has called us to do. Notice how even the announcement of the birth of Jesus, which I would say was at this particular point in history was the highest accolades to the glory of God to ever, been given, to ever be given at all, is that the Son of God, Don't you know that brought God glory for God to come to this earth to be born as a man? Yes, Uh, the fact of the matter is he was the impress image of the invisible God. The express image of the invisible God. So no wonder the angels sang for this great purpose. Glory to God in the highest. The choir that sang a horde 
of angels. An army of angels. The congregation that was simple and small and steady. And then we have this incredible announcement of the communication of the gospel given to us. And then finally there's some consequences that succeeded the first Christmas service. And beginning in verse 15 you see this. The service was over. The Bible says that the angels have gone back into heaven. But the work wasn't over, right? As a matter of fact, it had just began. The service was over, like a church service, but the real service was about to start. And we know what the text says about this. They immediately talked about the message. You find that strange? I mean, if you get this kind of announcement from heaven and angels, shouldn't you talk about it? I mean, the shepherds immediately started talking about what they had heard. Anybody who hears this kind of a message and can't share it with somebody must not have heard this kind of message, right? If you receive this kind of word from God, you got to share it, you got to discuss it further with friends. The best way to stifle a message is to be quiet about it, and that's not what happened here. The best way to appropriate it is to happily share it with other people. Do you ever discuss what God is doing in your life spiritually? Now we like to talk about the weather. And we like to talk about Kansas City Chiefs that won last night. Right? We like to discuss those kind of things. When's the last time you just pulled up a chair and sat down with somebody and talked about what God was doing in your life? Having a spiritual conversation. We all need to do that, don't we? But here's some guys who uh, talked about it. They hurried to the manger. Uh, I think uh, it's safe to say that the king's business demands haste. Right? They didn't go through any CWT or EE or faith evangelism. Right? These guys heard the message. And they hurried to the manger. Why? Because the king's business demands haste. What are we doing at FBCO? Has that changed? We have some king's business around here, don't we? You know, we can't be slothful in that business. It's the business that can, it's the only business, we don't use that word loosely, it's the only thing that can save the world, folks, right? And it's the, it's the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hurried to the manger, they came with haste. Uh, cool sophistication was out the window when it came to this kind of message. G.H. Morrison said, visions unacted upon and obeyed never authenticate high heaven. Man, that's a good statement, isn't it? Think about it again. Visions unacted on and obeyed never authenticate high heaven. It's when you act upon what you've heard, you'll actually find out as good as God's word is, it's perfect, but God is even better than his word. And you won't ever know that until you obey. And not only did they hurry to the manger and heed the message, but they heralded the message. The first ones to be told were the first ones to tell it. That was the consequences of the service that they went to. They became men on a mission. And finally, they honored the master. Don't you love those, that terminology? And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all, that he had, all they had heard and seen and that had been told to them. If you glorify God, that fits his person. He deserves every 
bit of it. And if you praise him, that fits his performance. And I'm telling you, our God is good all the time. And so here they were. They were glorifying him. That fits his person. He's the God of eternity. They're worshiping him, bowing down. And they are praising him because of his performance. God, praising God for his performance. What a model for Christians. Uh, I think the shepherds kind of uh, set the mode for us and the pattern. You know who the next move belongs to? You. Right? I mean, the next move, if you read this, and the shepherds are doing all this, honoring the master and heralding the message, uh, we should be following in the same vein. Think about this. I'll give you some W's. They waited, they wondered, they went, they worshiped, and they witnessed. That's a good pattern. It's a good pattern for the people of God, for, for us to do it. They set the tempo and the pattern and the model. Uh, the momentum was given for us right here in the Scripture. The very first ones who had a Christmas service gave us the, the model. The next move is ours. Now, I would say to you in conclusion that if you're lost today, well, even if you're saved, still I think the best phrase given to us is found in verse 11. For unto you. Now, think about that for a moment. Uh, the gift of Jesus Christ is a personal gift. For unto, say it. Does that leave anybody out in this room? For unto you was born this day. Now, as far as I can figure this thing out, a gift requires a response. Doesn't it? If I put a gift under your tree, you may acknowledge it, you may admire it, you may even thank me for it, but it's not yours until you pick it up, open it, and receive it. Right? God has a Christmas gift for you. The greatest one ever given. For unto you. It's for you. And here's the deal. The gift hasn't gone away. It's the gift that never stops giving. Right? It's the gift of eternal life, forgiveness of sins given by the Lord Jesus Christ. It must be personally received. You can never truly understand and enjoy Christmas until you can look in the Heavenly Father's face and say to Him, I've received the gift that you've given to me. Right? And that's the gift of the Son of God. For the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you look the Father in the face today and say, I've received that gift. I've trusted in Jesus only. I've repented of my sin I've trusted Jesus only for my salvation. Phillips Brooks captures this well in the song called, Oh Little... That's right. He says in one verse, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift was given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. And so he does, right? Is he born in you? May we experience his birth in us as the greatest gift that can ever be given during this Christmas season. To God be the glory. We had a choir that sang. We had that this morning, right? We had a congregation that came. I don't think, I think y'all kind of simple, right? Not that large. We had communication that was spoken. The greatest news you could ever hear is that Jesus Christ still, still saves sinners. The Son saves sinners. 
Now, what about the consequences? Uh, what will our church do with the message we've heard? We're on the precipice of another year, starting January 1. Uh, let's, let's follow the pattern set for us by the shepherds who set that tempo and tone for us. By the way, you saw the announcement or the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. The fact of the matter is, Jesus will be worshipped by all the peoples of the earth. Right? He will. And we can have a hand in that by giving to that offering. Remember that challenge? Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The challenge was $42,000. Is that just a money issue? No. Be honest with you, God can get it done without your money. But it sure is great. Remember, visions unacted upon never authenticate high heaven. Do you believe that God is going to get that done? Well, get in with the program, right? Let's be a part of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth because God has already given us that promise. That's the tempo. That's the pattern set before us. Uh, may, may God be glorified. Let's stand. Brother David is going to lead us. Uh, maybe you've never received that gift. Uh, don't, don't wrap up on me before the invitation. Think about this. Maybe you haven't received that gift. You've got a person to receive it. For unto us is born that day in the city of David.